Good evening, everyone. As we record this, we're uh, heading into the week of Thanksgiving. And um, I hope uh, you're going to hear this after Thanksgiving because we're taking that day off. Sometimes you need a break uh, from the grind. And we're all looking forward to having a couple days off. And uh, I hope uh, this finds everyone doing well and everyone enjoyed their Thanksgiving with their families and loved ones and all that sort of stuff. So how's it going, Jeff? Good, man. I'm I'm going to be traveling, uh, driving to Nashville uh, for the holidays. So what are you, what are you going to be doing? I'm uh, going to be spending it with my family. Uh, Tina and I are going to be driving up to my parents' house. So they're about maybe an hour and a half away from us here in Jersey. And mm. um, it's going to be hanging with them. We're going to uh, help with the cooking, you know, and um, I'm going to make some, you know, we're going to make some food. It's going to be small, just me and her and my, my mom and dad and maybe my cousin. And uh, nice. Yeah, just do that kind of thing. That's great, man. Yeah, we're going to see my girlfriend's uh, parents in, in Nashville and we're driving. It's about a 12 hour drive. Going to break it up into two days. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it, man. Get back on the road again, you know? Yeah, yeah, I love a good road trip, dude. You know me. Oh, yeah. So before we get so, going, I just want to shout everyone out. Of course, uh, we're part of a larger group of uh, professionals, podcasting professionals, the podcasting Illuminati. Of course, I'm referring to the horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse. So to kick off the week, we have Brandon Legion's Horror Wolf 666 coming at you twice a month. Tuesday... The greatest metal podcast on the internet is Into the Necrosphere by Jackie Smith. That's literally the only music-related podcast I listen to and um, every week. If you're into extreme music with like uh, more of a concentration in black metal and like super dark you know, metal, Jackie's the guy to break all that stuff down. He has excellent guests, and his show just keeps moving from strength to strength, and um yeah, it's just it's great, and it's an honor to know him, and it's an honor to know everybody. Everyone's become very, very tight in this circle that we have. Mm-hmm. Wednesday is Everything Went Black, which is um, my flagship podcast where I just sort of, I don't know, man, just kind of make it up as I go along. I have, <laughs> I have like, there's no real format, you know. It's um, if it's interesting, I try to talk about it. Um, I've had a variety of different types of guests on there variety of different types of sub- subjects so it's kind of like this like free form discussion thursday of course is necro thursday today today is necro thursday where uh it's either me and mike scandato or me and jeff coming at you and we talk about horror movies and give our uh worthless opinions about things that we like <laughs> or dislike or whatever you know but it's all done in good fun friday Spitball Media comes at you. And of course, that's uh, Mike's brother, John Draper. Saturday is a day off. Go out, enjoy the weather. You know, it's getting to be, uh, it's November. So it's um, this beautiful weather out that we have here, at least mm-hmm. in the East. Sunday, the Reverend Carl Hikara comes at you with Soul Knox. And that's a show focused on the dark, the macabre. Uh, Carl and I have a collaborative uh, thing we're doing called Darkness Weaves, which we just completed the first phase of that operation. It's uh, the the mission is to cover the work of Carl Edward Wagner, a writer who's been quite influential, but is sadly obscure these days. And I'm hoping to turn more people onto his work because a lot of it's out of print. And the first phase of what we talked about was uh, in a lonely place 
a collection of his horror stories, horror and weird fiction stories. And that's in print through Valancourt Books. And I know some of you guys out there have purchased that volume and um, have enjoyed the work and have commented to me and said that, oh, yeah, this is this is great. So so please go out there and support Carl Wagner and Valancourt Books. And the next phase of our operation is recovering his uh, dark fantasy character, Kane. So Carl is kicking off that phase of things. The first entry into that is going to be the uh, the Kane story, Undertow. And that's going to take us probably the rest of our lives to uh, <laughs> to work with all that material. There's like the volumes of that material out there. There's novels. There's all kinds of stuff. Mm. And then our newest uh, horseman, Iblis Manifestations, brought to you by Cheyenne of the band Trivax. You know, Cheyenne, you know, he, he, he's just too free to have a um, regular schedule. So they kind of drop out of the ether into our laps whenever, just at the right time. I would say mm -hmm. in the nick of time, he deploys an episode. So there you go. <laughs> Amazing. What a group of people that is. It's really cool, man. And um, it's just, it's just a growing sort of thing. And I know a lot of you guys, we all, our, our listeners cross over and I just, Makes me feel really cool to like have this kind of um, group of people like that's putting out qu quality media, quality content for everyone. That's that's our our mission, you know. And I just listened to a little bit of you on uh, Horror Wolf talking about Predator. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. And that's the other thing we do. We we also guest on each other's shows all the time, so that's always fun. Yeah, you, you know, I get, you got a point. I, I got to point out that you uh, you guys were talking about exorcist believer for a little bit there, and you said some people are being hyperbolic, saying you know, like you know, exorcist two is better than this one. I'm one of those people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, exorcist two is pretty bad, but also the believer is also pretty bad. So yeah, it's hard to say. I'll say like exorcist two is awful as it is, and it is awful. It, it's a big swing, you know, like it's obvious, like it's such a strange, weird art film. It's it's such a bizarre choice to follow the exorcist up with that. But at least it's trying to do something. Whereas Believer just feels like no one, no one really cared. No one's heart was in it. Like, Hey, let's just make this. And, and two, oh. there's some level of, of, of passion there uh, as misguided as it is. Discussing uh, which of these two films is better is almost <laughs> like trying to figure out who's the, the, the best looking waitress at Denny's. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, point taken. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, have so, you been checking anything out, then? You know what? Um, I have, man, It the last several weeks have been rough as far as work goes. I got this new mm. job started in September. It's been killing me. But I uh, literally, right before we started talking, I watched the movie um, The Reflecting Skin. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Philip Riley or something like that. What's his name? The director? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> I know that I know that someone that does cinematography in this has something to do with David Lynch. Yeah, that makes sense. I just watched that director's last film during my 31 Days of Horror. He made a film called Heartless. Uh, it was pretty good. And uh, it made me think I need to watch Reflecting Skin again because it's, God, it's been like 20 years, I think, maybe since I've seen that. I think I was living in Boston last time I saw it. It's one of my favorite films, actually. I, I watched it uh, 
I think pretty much every year I'll I'll, I'll run through that movie, and it's uh, really? it's on it's on Tubi right now. And um, oh shit! Yeah, this morning, uh, Tina and I got up early. We were like flipping through stuff to maybe watch while we have breakfast, and uh, and I'm like, oh, Reflecting Skin is on Tubi, so we watched it, and uh, I literally minutes before you and I started talking, so it's fresh in my mind, and it's oh. Such a great, great movie. And I, I want to, I can't confirm, I have to confirm this, but I think I actually have the criterion of that film. Oh, I did not know that was a criterion film. I think, I, th- I think I have it actually, but I have to look, I have to look, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's Vigo Mortensen too, right? Young yeah. Vigo. It came out in uh, 1990, I think. And Vigo, Vigo is in it. It's like one of his earlier films. And um, it's just, we should talk about this. We should do an episode on this movie. Cause it's like, one of the oddest films I've ever seen. And yeah, it's, it's so like uncomfortable and creepy and just unsettling, you know? And once again, largely allegorical, you know, there's a lot Mm. of allegory in that movie too. Yeah. Uh, it's like, he made a film after that called, I think it's called the passion of darkly noon and, and sort of disappeared for a while, came out in 2009 with heartless and hasn't really done anything since. So, uh, I don't, I don't know what's going on with that, that director. You looking for something, Mike? <laughs> my iPad, my iPad just turned on. Oh <laughs> shit! Uh, <laughs> yeah, so something started playing in the background there. Weird. Oh, All right. weird. The dark forces are trying to stop us. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we just recently started a rewatch of Game of Thrones from the first season. So that's something we've been doing, like at night, you know, just to wind down and stuff like that. Hmm. I've never seen a single episode of that show. I, I like it a lot. I mean, I like a lot of stuff like that. You know, it's kind of dark fantasy, like, um, you know, Lord of the Rings, you know, Conan, like that sort of thing. I hear too that like Pete, like uh, our mutual friend Pete, uh, Peter Ferris was telling me about that show. And I was really surprised to hear that he watched it because that's not his thing at all. And he's like, man, like it just take all the swords and dragons away. And it's, you know, it's still a great show. It is. But I also like all the swords and dragons, though, too. You know? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of sorcery and like magic and you know, evil and stuff like that. Right. I heard the last couple seasons weren't weren't that good. Is that is that true? Um, the begin it starts off strong and maybe tapers off a little bit, but I was I was kind of satisfied with it. I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. Oh, right on. All right. Yeah. I never read the books. I, I never read the books. I, I, okay. You know, I, it, the, the fiction, the literature part never really snuck into my, you know, catalog here. So I'm thinking like one of these days I'm going to have to go in for surgery and I'm going to be, you know, on my back for like a week. That might be a good time to uh, to, to finally watch watch that show. I got to say, I lost interest in Fall of the House of Usher, man. I, I got to go. Wow. I have to go back and I will finish it, but I just completely lost interest in it. Wow, really? God, we pl- we plowed through it in like three days. I I mean, I couldn't get enough. And, you know, I'm not really a, a fan of that guy. I think he's made some good stuff, but I didn't enjoy any of his other Netflix shows. And I get a lot of shit for that. Uh, but I, I don't know what to say. It's just not for me. Uh, Fall in the House of Usher was, though. I mean, I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's uh, maybe I wasn't in the mood for it or something, but I just I couldn't yeah. get through it. So maybe I just refresh. Maybe I'll start again from the beginning because I I do want to watch it and I do want to talk about it. I think for mm. sure we should try to do that. 
Um, as far as like horror TV goes, I, I mean, that's by far uh, the best, but it's also maybe the only. <laughs> uh, I can't think of anything other TV show that's sort of in the horror realm that I've watched. Um, I know you were watching, uh, what's that, the uh, American Horror Story, right? Yeah, I finally tapped out. I finally came to my senses and I was like, you know what, man, this sucks. Like it was terrible that I couldn't, even, I couldn't even get through that either, man. And like, it just, it just was bad, you know? And, and uh, what's her name was in it that um, Kardashian. Yeah. And I'm like, well, why the fuck is he in this? Cause you know, I know she's famous and all this stuff and whatever, but like when you put her with real actors, you know, mm. she just looks terrible. Like she's just up against the actors on that, on that show. She just looks like, like a total amateur, unprofessional, you know? Yeah. You know, you don't do anyone uh, any favors when you miscast them in something, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, you, you like, uh, and you know, there, there's good actors on that show. Uh, at least some of the seasons I saw, uh, you know, you have that kid from the X-Men movies who played Dahmer. Oh, Evan Peters. Yeah. Yeah. Great actor, you know, yeah. and yeah, I, I can't even imagine trying to do a scene like with a reality star or something like that. I don't know. It's, it's it's a weird choice, but I guess, you know, you want to bring attention onto your show. So you bring in a you know big celebrity. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I get it. What, what have you been checking out? Anything interesting? Hardly anything, though. But a couple like things. Uh, I found this podcast called Very Scary People. Okay. Um, it's hosted by Donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> from, Donnie, not not Mark Wahlberg. Donnie, Donnie from the new, new kids, kids on, on the, the block. block. Yeah, dude, okay. fucking Johnny kid. Um, Johnny, Johnny, brother, Johnny, <laughs> dude from fucking Southie. Um, yeah, like the first season, they covered the DeFeo murders, obviously made famous uh, because of the Amityville horror. Um, it was kind of cool. I mean, obviously, I know about the murders, uh, but. When you hear about that story of the house, it's always what happened to the Lutz family afterwards. So it was kind of interesting to, to get like a nice you know, hour and a half um, breakdown of the DeFeo murders. And second season, they went into the Ken uh, and Barbie killers in, uh, out of Canada. You, I didn't know about this. And uh, I went down sort of a rabbit hole after listening to the podcast uh, about these two. You familiar with that? Only in passing. But I don't know. I don't remember all the details about that. I just remember they were Canadian. Yeah, it's a pretty crazy story. Uh, and um, th there's a lot of material out there about the Ken and Barbie killer. But uh, season two, uh, Very Scary People, was my introduction to, to that whole story. And it was very disturbing and engrossing. But, man, I, I mean, like, I, I just went through listening to it. I just went and, like, was looking online about all this stuff. And, yeah, I, uh, I recommend it. Very Scary People. So it's like true crime stuff like that? Yeah, hosted by Donnie Wahlberg. Because, <laughs> you know, oh, Donnie. Donnie, what else says true crime like new kids on the block? <laughs> um, I hear you, kid. Yeah, I hear you, kid, dude. Um, that's really about it. Uh, I'm going to start a rewatch. Well, I already started, but promptly fell asleep uh, to season one of Severance. It's. Uh, I just realized it's been like a year and a half and still no season two. You need a season two, man. You know how I feel about severance. Yeah. That was one of the best things I've watched in a long time. Um, I'm hoping it's taking so long for season two because they're trying to get it right. Because I feel like that show could 
easily fly off the rails and become like another like lost uh, a show that started off cool and then you realize they had no idea what they were doing they were just throwing weird stuff at the wall see what seeing what would stick i'm hoping that that severance doesn't go down that road because season one was so perfect yeah totally man what uh, what have you seen the terrifier three trailer yet yeah you mentioned that to me yeah um I, uh, I I've seen the controversy about it. There's it's apparently contra- a trailer is controversial. Well, I mean, I, I love the uh, the first. I just I think the I, I'm a fan. Like I like yeah. the whole universe, you know. And and uh, Damian Leone is I think doing something very unique right now, especially with the independent uh, take that he has on it. You know, mm-hmm. it's almost like that. Like it's that. DIY like thing, which I dig about it. And the guy obviously has a vision for the um for the whole story. You know, there's a, a universe he's creating. I think it's really cool. Um now if you're the the implication of violence against a young kid, which is like the big controversy, I guess, like some edgelord out there is like all up in arms about like the implied violence murder of a kid with an axe. It's like if you're if you're going to be even scratching the surface of this movie and that's going to offend you, then it, mm. you just not watch it. Right. I mean, in terrifier one, a woman gets like bisected, you know, it's like, yes. you know, graphically in terrifier two, there's that scene where he like totally just dismembers this woman in her bedroom and like, right. Like, animatronic uh, scene. Right. And there's all sorts of nasty stuff, man. You know, and it's like one of the center points of this of the series of the movies is extreme violence, you know, and gore and just like, but so how can you be offended by something like that if you're knowingly like making a if you're going to check something out and you already know what the deal is, you can't and you looked at it, you can't say you're offended by it, you know? Right. Yeah, uh, and violence against kids in in horror or is not is always been a thing. I mean, like, are you going to be offended when Jaws comes on TV in the Fourth of July and that shark eats the kid? First scenes in it, the kid gets his yeah. rip, arm murdered, an arm ripped off, you know, by Pennywise, right? So there, yeah. there's that, you know, Salem's Lot, you know, Stephen King has murdered tons of kids in his uh, in his tons. story. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, one that comes to mind is the the blob remake when that kid just totally gets fucking devoured by by the blob. It's one of the more I mean disturbing things I've seen in a horror movie. Yeah, and in the trailer, it's implied that Art is gonna axe this kid to death. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, I, I yeah I saw the the, the thing you're, t- you're you're talking about the guy. If you want to watch this, then block me. And it's just so man, like get a grip. None of this well, first, is real. Yeah. First of all, I don't even know who this guy is, so I can't even block him because I don't even know that he, he existed before right. someone sent me a screenshot of his account or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, you know, this is this is horror. And if things like that disturb you and bother you, and, you know, of course that seems like a normal reaction. But horror isn't for everyone, but... Uh, you know, to, to go on like a rant, like how dare you can watch something like this. It's just like, hey, you know, not everything is for you. And that's okay. This is true. Yeah. So before we get into the uh, tonight's feature, today's feature, we got a couple of voicemails. Of course, uh, you can call into the show, the Necrophone. And that number is 
908-913-0782. Once again, that's 908-913-0782. Call, leave a message. And um, yeah, it's a lot of fun hearing from people. And, um, you know, so we'll, we'll kick it off. Tavis from Pennsylvania. Okay, that's uh, we got his name wrong the last time. And thanks for calling back, dude. I really appreciate you straightening us out on your name. And uh, oh, yeah. I, that's the very least I can do is get your name right. So thank you for calling back. How's it going, guys? This is Tavis in Pittsburgh calling back. It did sound like Dave last time. But, uh, yeah, it's Tavis. It's a weird one. There's not many of us, but we're out there. Uh, usually when people see it, they think it's Travis, but no. Tavis. Um, yeah, good shows again, man. Uh, just, uh, went back and was listening to some old episodes and, uh, checked out that British movie Bull, which, uh, good recommendation. Thought that was, uh, really cool and honestly surprised I didn't see that ending coming, but yeah, I dug that. Um, actually, uh, trying to make a conscious effort of listening to watching new stuff, um, and uh went and watched that uh new Hell House, which was decent. Um actually probably I think it was like the second best one in the series, I think, as far as creepiness, probably after the first one. Pretty cool. And then um watched that the angry black girl and her monster and uh I was really surprised with how good that was. I don't know if anybody's checked that out yet, but um definitely worth a watch on Shutter. And then a newer one on Screenbox, History of a Cult, South uh, South American movie. Um, pretty cool, too. Um, definitely worth checking out. Um, and then, you know, next week being Thanksgiving. I don't know if anybody has any uh, Thanksgiving movies they watch regularly, but me and my wife always watch The Changeling every Thanksgiving for whatever reason. But, yeah, we watch that every Thanksgiving for, like, hell, for the last 15 years. But, um also, yeah, Mike, thanks for the uh, interview with John Paget. I uh, listened to that and uh, went and bought his book, and that's uh, pretty awesome so far. So, yeah, cheers to that. But you guys have a good one. I uh, hope everyone has a good Thanksgiving, and talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Well, once again, Tavis, thanks for calling in. Uh, you know, both Jeff and I love Bull. That's, like, one of our probably one of our favorite collective films to come out that year. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. I also liked Angry Black Girl and Her Monster. I thought that was like a fun, uh, you know, revisualization of uh, of, of uh, Frankenstein's monster. It was, it was pretty mm. cool. I was entertained by that movie. I uh, It's on my list to see before the end of the year because, uh, you know, it's creeping up on us and I'm still struggling to find the top six. So um, uh, I definitely want to check that out. I have my number one and my number two already figured out. So me too. You know, I'm having, <laughs> yeah. I'm having I'm having trouble backfilling the rest, though, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's about four that I, I and I, I feel like it's going to be a strong horror adjacent year. Could be, could be. Yeah. So next up, we got Charlie from Neptune, New Jersey. Hey, what's up, Necro guys? This is Charlie from Neptune, New Jersey. First time caller, big fan of the show. My girlfriend and I both enjoy the podcast a lot. We. uh yeah, we've discovered a lot of good movies just by listening to the podcast. You guys are doing a great job. It's always interesting to hear what you guys have to say about things, um, thoughts, whether positive or negative. Um, yeah, we, you know, we watched Let's Scare Jessica to Death and Messiah of Evil just based on 
you guys covering it on the show. Uh, we're looking forward to doing a double feature of Terrified and When Evil Works. Very excited about that. Um, I had a recommendation for you guys. I don't think anyone's mentioned it, but definitely recommend it. It's a movie from 2022. It's a Cornish folk horror movie called Ennis Main. That's spelled E-N-Y-S-M-E-N. Um, yeah, it takes place in the Cornish area of England, um, in the south, I believe. Um, kind of taps into the Cornish language. Um, and uh, it's shot on 16mm. It's definitely got lighthouse vibes. It's very, like, claustrophobic and just real isolationist-type vibes. Um, I had heard about it on the Evolution of Horror podcast, which is a very good one um, to listen to as well. Uh, I know you guys are a fan of that, or at least some of you are. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. We just uh, watched Fall of the House of Usher. We really enjoyed that. And, um, yeah, we just the, the list grows every day. So thanks again for everything you guys do, and congratulations on 200 episodes. And um, I'll definitely be calling in again. Take care, guys. Glad to hear that you and your girlfriend enjoy the show. I always like when um, it becomes like a family effort. You know what I mean? That's pretty cool. It's a family podcast for sure. Family, family oriented fun here. You know. Yes. Yeah. And yes, dude, I loved Ennis Main. That is, he described it exactly. Cornish folk horror, uh, experimental. I saw this in the movie theater at the IFC back when it came out. It had a very short theatrical run, mm. and uh, I, I mean, it was, I saw it on on uh, on Easter Sunday actually, and mm. um, by myself, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um. And it was great, man. It was awesome. I have the Blu-ray. Uh, definitely something I, I recommend everyone to talk about that film and check it out, rather. And, uh, yeah, I also found out about it through the uh, Evolution of Horror podcast, which I know, Je Jeff, you uh, you listen to that show occasionally, too, right? Yeah, occasionally, yeah. Um, I don't know how this movie just completely uh, missed my radar. It sounds like something I would absolutely love. I think you would love it. I loved yeah. it. Um, I don't know if it's streaming anywhere, but I have the Blu-ray and um, definitely something to check out. And, uh, you know, if you guys are like, uh, you know, down with it, definitely, um, you know, something you should you should be into. Yeah, I, I think I might head down to Waterloo Records later today and, and try to find that on, on, on Blu-ray. Uh, it sounds great. All right, cool. All right. I totally left out the secret of ventriloquism uh, section for, for Tavis. Oh, well, we'll, we'll that's all right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I interviewed John Paget, so yeah, everyone knows, everyone knows I love his work. Yeah. There you go. All right, so for today's feature. Yes. Yeah. We have the killer, which came out uh, on Netflix. It's available on Netflix. So um, directed by David Fincher, who we all, you know, I've seen tons of his movies based on the comic book, the killer by Alex Nolan, Luke Jacquemont and uh boom studios released it. And if anyone is a uh, boom puts out a lot of cool stuff, you know, graphic novels, trades, things like that. Did you, were you aware of the comic book? No, I had no idea. This, this was based on a, on a comic book. None. Uh, the entire time I was watching it uh, after uh, just, you know, I don't like to read too much about a movie. To I don't want to get someone else's perspective on it. I don't want to kind of have my own, but just kind of skim, you know, okay, what does Rotten Tomatoes say? What is that at? And 
is there any interesting factoids I can find? And and that was one of them. I was like, God, this, this is a comic book? I was very surprised. Totally unaware myself. Um, but I do remember while I was watching this movie thinking that it reminded me of uh, more like if anyone's familiar with Ed Brubaker, it, it had a, a vibe of some of his comic work. You know, and he's done a lot of crime. He actually wrote Bat- Batman for a while and The Punisher for the bigger oh, okay. Marvel and DC. But his independent comics, he's done a, a bunch of different series called like Kill or Be Killed, um, you know, uh, Loveless, like all this stuff, you know, very, very yeah. cool, um, interesting, gritty, you know, writer. And a lot of this reminded me of, of something that he would have written as a comic book. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. Like the more I thought about it, like you know, it's broken down. I, I actually watching my girlfriend asked, "Is like, was, was this a book?" And I said, "Oh, but you know, I don't know." And she's like, oh, "It just kind of has a feel like that. This could have been a book." So she was kind of right. So uh, the release on uh, September third, twenty twenty three, in Venice. October twenty seventh, twenty twenty three, theatrical run in the states, and then November tenth, twenty twenty three, on Netflix for all to enjoy. Score by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. And we know that team, if you're familiar with uh, their film score work, you know, they've been doing a lot. And of course, Trent Reznor is in Nine Inch Nails. So there you go. I think the other guy is now, too. I don't know. I don't I know, know either. They, huh? they team up on um, like all their score work. I wasn't sure if right. he was actually a member of the band or not. Yeah, I think the first note that got played, I said, oh, I think, I bet Trent Reznor did this one too. <laughs> like, it is so distinctly him. And also tons of uh, Smiths in this movie too. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. <laughs> yeah. And a Portishead song too. Yes, yeah. He likes yeah. the gloomy British rock or whatever you call that. What's Also, you know what? Like, all right, well, let's just run down who's in this, this thing. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, we got Michael Fassbender as the killer. We got Tilda Swinton, the inimicable Tilda Swinton as the expert. Charles Parnell as a lawyer, Hodges, which is kind of his handler. Mm-hmm. Arliss Howard as a, a perfectly portrayed guy who uh, hires people to kill his um, enemies in business. Yeah. AKA, AKA Claiborne. Carrie O'Malley as Dolores, uh, the unfortunate uh, uh, executive assistant of uh, of Hodges. Yep. And uh Sophie Charlotte as Magdala, which is uh the killer's uh love interest, is what his girlfriend, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah, and there's some other canon, you know, people like canon canon fodder, some collateral yeah. damage people in this movie. So yeah. But for such a, a movie like in with so many different locations, it's it's a very small cast. I mean it's mostly Michael Fassbender really just riffing yeah. on his own. You know, yeah, I don't think he has many lines of dialogue in the movie at all. Any, it's all his internal dialogue. But as far as him actually speaking to people, he barely says a word to anyone. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's very internal. This movie, and um, you know, it's almost like journal entries or something like that. Like with like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it had this like diary aspect to it, where he talks about his philosophy and and. In the beginning of this film, right off the bat, he's he's sighting uh, up his next target. You know, he's uh, she's in Paris, and uh, you just get the sense of boredom and waiting, and you yeah. know, the life of a highly paid, um, you know, hitman, mostly being waiting with no action. You know, yeah. This first chapter was phenomenal. It 
it's very it, it's tedious but it's also really thrilling and and intense and uh just you know we've seen this story a million times the hitman the hit goes wrong and then he's uh you know uh, he's out for revenge all this stuff but we never seen it quite like this this isn't like a john wick kind no. of thing with stylized violence it really gets into the the tedium of of what he does he's he's in a uh, some sort of abandoned office or something. And he's been there for five or six days. He's uh, you know, eating at McDonald's every day, <laughs> um, you know, take, taking the, uh, the bread off his uh, breakfast sandwich and uh, listening to the Smiths and just waiting and waiting for something to happen. I, I found that like a really interesting approach to something that we've seen a million times. Exactly. And, um, one of the interesting things about this is he goes in this very first opening of the movie, he goes into this uh, pretty long monologue about the universe and the void and how emptiness and, you know, basically what he just the the um, insignificance of all actions, you mm. know, because he talks about how many people live are born and how many people die and how and none of his actions make a dent in anything in like a cosmic level. You know, he's an existentialist, basically. He's an existentialist. And, of course, this touched right away on a lot of my, like, you know, Arthur Schopenhauer and Thomas Ligotti sort of, like, um, philosophies on the universe and that kind mm. of thing, you know. And then right after that, he has a Aleister Crowley quote, which he doesn't attribute to him. He couldn't reach out. Some guy said, do what, thou, right. do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. And he's like, by, I can't remember who. Okay. And um, now that they did not, and this is typical, they did not mention the second line of that, which is, um, it's part of this, like, uh, you know, a thing called Libra Al. And um, mm -hmm. second line is, love is the law, love under will. Now, do what thou wilt shall be the whole law has to do with like, like uh, total will, like your intention in the world. You know, it's like you, you're you're an individual and you have freedom and that sort of stuff. And that's kind of like his philosophy, because he says, like, you know, my philosophy is I don't give a fuck, basically, you know, that he <laughs> yeah, does that. and that he probably takes strength from that whole Thelenic principle of like do without wilt. That is the whole of the law. But he must have read the second line. And that second line actually plays into one of his the, the driving force and his motivation for what actually comes afterward. You know what I'm trying to say? No, no, I know. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. And I think this movie has a lot more going on than people are giving it credit for. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there's like some cool action in there, fights and very stylized and like really well shot and all these like, you know, great scenes and everything. But but there's like this, um, what I'm at the end of this, uh, ultimately a positive statement that takes all this bleakness and also spins it in a positive direction, which is unusual, I think, for a film like this. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it's also interesting. You mentioned that he uh, he's always listening to the Smiths. Like he's he's a big fan, and uh, that just struck me as funny. But like, also, it make it goes. It, it's very it fits with his aesthetic, with his his worldview. The Smiths, you know, it's his jangly pop band. But it, the, the the Morrissey's lyrics are are kind of dark. They're dark and very ironic, you know. Yeah. And, and they're making statements about love and, you know, been the irony of love and all this sort of stuff and, you know, that kind of thing. 
Yeah, I mean, he's listening to How Soon Is Now before he's about to kill someone with the line, I am human and I need to be loved, just like everyone else does. Like, uh, I, I, that, that has to be intentional, like that, choosing that song. Also, what I found very interesting, he's listening on an iPod, too. You yeah, that? yeah, I did. Yeah, because, uh, man, I miss the iPods. Me too. The iPods yeah. are the greatest thing in the world, man. Now, and, you know, it's like, you know, it's the man trying to control, like, what you listen to. Like, you could put stuff <laughs> on your iPod back in the day that only you had. You know, it didn't have to be yeah. something on the cloud somewhere. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was, it's the best thing ever. I, I really, really miss it. I also like the sound design in, in this scene. And I think it repeats throughout the movie when if you see a shot from his point of view, you hear the music playing over anything and then it cuts away. And if you see him, you hear the music as, as uh, you know, like like it, it, from his uh, headphones. Like he, it's not blaring over the soundtrack. Uh, this added to the tension of that scene. Uh, I really like uh, I like the, the sound in this movie in general. You hear like the hum of the radiator. He's got the um, the street noise. Like it's really the like, vibrant part of part of the scene. Yeah, it's almost like with all the the time spent by yourself waiting, you become hypersensitive to your environment. That's that's like kind of the vibe I got from why they focused on all that like ambient noise and stuff. You know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like if you're ever just sitting alone and just kind of stewing about something, you become so aware of all the sounds going on around you. And, and I, they totally nailed that in this opening scene. So this, what sets in motion, what comes afterward is this opening, <laughs> scene, you know, where, he, you know, he's building up this thing where he's like, you know, it's expensive hitman, you know, it's, He's got it dialed in on how to kill people from a distance. He talks about these different methods, you know, you can poison someone or, you know, whatever. Like they slip and fall and it looks like an accident. And this time around, he's got like a high powered long range uh, weapon. And his assignment is to kill this guy across the uh, street from where he's stationed. And the dude's getting uh, some sort of uh, SM uh, scene going on with like a dominatrix. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you see him getting his crosshairs on this guy and then of course like you know actually before i say that there is uh there's a statement that he makes something like like about reacting and fuck i can't remember exactly what he says about like don't anticipate or something or don't improvise anticipate there you go don't don't improvise anticipate yeah and this is exactly what he failed to do in this moment because he anticipated the movements of this dominatrix. And of course she steps once he pulls the trigger, she steps in, in the way of the bullet and she takes right. the hit. And, and the guy that his target is not dispatched. His target makes it out alive. So he failed his mission. Yeah. This is the most tense scene in the movie. I thought like you really feel like the killer's anxiety. And again, no, no words spoken, but him just sort of trying to calmly run out of the building and then unlock his bike, and it's not unlocking right away. You know, you start to feel that anxiety build, and you know, you see him on the airplane, and he's really sort of analyzing everyone around him. He sees something about a guy with a nice pair of socks he doesn't like, so he gets off the, you know, gets off at the next flight, gets, gets a different connecting flight. I loved all that stuff. Yeah, so, you know, this guy's not used to failing, apparently. 
though this is like a new thing for him. And um, he goes back to the Dominican Republic where his, um, that's where his home is. And right away he knows something's wrong. Yeah. The pile of cigarettes at the gate. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he go, he rushes into his house and you hear that Portishead song playing and uh, you know, his, there had been people there and you don't actually see what happened, but his woman, his lady has been uh, attacked by these people and she's in the hospital. And uh, yes. Yeah. So, and, and they lead you to believe that it was, particularly brutal thing they did like they don't you know they don't go into detail but you know there was like a, an assault and you know all that sort of stuff right yeah and this is essentially kicks in now he's out for revenge and right. it's interesting too because you know he has this code and the entire movie is basically the breakdown of that like he's kind of thrown that out the window he repeats that mantra throughout the entire movie but he's not living by it at this point you know, he is a very practical, methodical guy. Uh, he could have just disappeared. You know, okay, you know, I got the warning. I'm done. I'm out of here. But no, he, he's got to go for this. He's, he's improvising, basically. And and uh, yeah, it's just, just very interesting. Interesting stuff, man. Now, this is where uh, the second line of that Crowley um, quote, which they did not talk about in the beginning, like he he did not mention the second line of that um, Thelemic uh, passage, where love love is the law, love under will. Okay, so the first line, mm-hmm. "You without will shall be the whole of the law," you know, total will, meaning that you are a hundred percent free in this world in the universe, and you control your actions completely. But then they say, "Love is the law." Okay, you know, love under will. So love will direct your activities like your actions in the universe Mm. and that's what kicks in at this moment when he seeks revenge there's no logic there's no reason like logically if you detach yourself from emotion like getting revenge on these guys is really you know it exposes you um if you follow pure logic which is implied in the beginning that he's uh someone who just is logical and has no emotion right he would just collect the collateral damage of his mm-hmm. um, injured partner and just disappear, right? That would have been the sensible thing to do, okay? Yeah, exactly. But that's not what he does. Yeah. <laughs> you know? What he does is he's directed by the love and his emotions, and then he goes on this, this uh, mission of revenge because of how they hurt his lady, and, and that's pretty much... The rest of the film is his him getting revenge on the various people, finding out who they are, you know, yeah. like confronting uh, his handler, you know, the guy who's posing as the lawyer, and then uh, and that scene's awesome too. Oh so, man, yeah, I'm getting this a little bit ahead like, of myself with it, but yeah. yeah, it's very much a procedural movie, like it. Um, and I, I mean, this is called the killer. But it could have also been called the the director because I feel like this this guy Michael Fassbender's character is somewhat of a metaphor for David Fincher himself. I mean, you have a guy that is just methodical perfectionist, and and uh, that that's Fincher, man. Like I remember watching the extras on um, on the Zodiac Blu-ray of him just doing a take over and over and over again, and it's like a scene of 
Jake Gyllenhaal getting in the car and throwing his notebook on the seat next to him. You know, David Fincher wasn't seeing what he wanted in, in, in that moment. And they were just going to sit there and do it 20, 30 times until they got it right. And that's Fassbender in this movie, man. He's methodical, uh, perfectionist, everything, you know, just has everything completely planned out the way it's going to go. Um, I, I, I just thought that was, uh, I don't know. I, I'm sure other people have picked up on that, too. Yeah, for sure. You know, and um, yeah, so the rest of the film is him globetrotting around, you know, finding these people, you know, and first he sweats it out of uh, the lawyer, you know, Hodges. He like, oh, well, f- first he, he see the, uh, the the cab driver. That was oh, the right. first True. person and uh, really shows his lack of empathy because this guy is basically an innocent, you know? Yeah. And uh it, it, I didn't think he was gonna, you know, hurt this guy. That was a that was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, yeah. That's you know, this is that. this is not the killer with a conscious conscience movie. I mean, he he is, but not not really. Like he talks a lot about you know not being vulnerable, not being weak. Having someone in his life he cares about this much is a weakness for him. One hundred percent, man. Like you know, that is the ultimate vulnerability. Like someone that is outside of yourself. You know, that that's definitely like someone that someone can exploit that, you know, and that's that's what I mean. There's a lot of contradictions in his character. It's And that's part of like the point of this film really is to show the the kind of um, what's the term I'm looking for, like these like exceptions to the rules and things. You know what I mean? It's almost like when you're reading like the New York City Mechanical Code or something like that. And it's like, right. OK. This is the, the the rule, okay? And then there's like a list of exceptions to the rule, you know? And yeah. um, so in his case, this is the code that he lives by. Oh, but there's these exceptions, you know? Right, yeah. And yeah, those, he's those, in, and, and, yeah, some of those exceptions like create vulnerabilities. And that's exactly what this whole thing is about is living a rigid life, but also justifying certain things in it that ultimately end up to contradict your code and they're, they're a little dissonant with the ideas that you have and that ultimately being some kind of weakness or per- perceived weakness or vulnerability that you have to improvise your way through, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, uh, I thought it was very interesting too, that, uh, he doesn't, he uses his environment and things that anyone can buy to, to do his job. Like this isn't like some super high tech thing he's got where, um, you know he's hacking and, and and shit like that like no he's doing like grunt work going okay what like with who's the cab driver just collecting information and then going to the store and buying things like you know, like amazon. nyquil yeah like, he buys stuff off of amazon like for that lock to do with the lock yeah exactly and he orders uber eats or someone orders he uses his environment it, i thought that was so cool and so much uh so much better than just like, yeah, he's got some hacking, something super, super high tech hacking device where you can just walk into any building he wants or anything like that. It was just so cool. Like that this to see this guy just think everything through and what he needs to do and how like really anyone can do the things he, he does to to get into the buildings, to get close to the people. I li- I really like that. Some unfortunate collateral damage in this thing, of course, is Dolores, uh, which is um, Hodge's uh, assistant, his executive assistant there. And, uh, you know, 
But the guy who's his handler, like when he shows up at his office, he's just like completely like he's not even like initially not even threatened. He just can't believe that this guy's standing here. He's like, well, what do you think this is going to solve? You know, like, right. He's like, you know, I can't believe like why you're, why are you here? Like nothing's going to be solved by you being here, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, which isn't true because he gets, <laughs> he gets the information he wants. And this is uh, something I, I wanted to talk to you about. There are a few people in this movie. He doesn't need to kill. He, he kills them anyway. Why? Once again, emotions, man. Yeah. You know, he, he talks about not being emotional, but he's being emotional. You know, it's yeah, like he's angry. He's angry. Yeah. It's basically what it is. I mean, you got to think about what this guy been through. He comes home, what he thought was his safe house, right? And the only possible people that would know where this his his residence is are the people that he works for, right? You know, he does, I'm sure this guy doesn't have a Facebook page and Instagram. He's not you know, posting pictures of himself, like you know, eating you know the eating some meal somewhere you know, or whatever. But I'm checking <laughs> yeah. in, in in the Dominican Republic, you know, or check me out at the Goat Horse Show or whatever. You know what I mean? Like he's not doing he's not doing stuff like that, you know. Yeah, he's one of these guys who probably doesn't uh, w- doesn't even exist, you know, in, in a way like he unmemorable. He, that's part of his code, you know, to just blend in. Actually, he says something really funny, which I think Ralph probably would get a, a, a kick out of. Where he his disguise, like his camo, to not to blend in in Paris, it was a German tourist. Yeah. So yeah, like nobody <laughs> nobody wants to remember the Germans. <laughs> and yeah, he wears those bucket hats. Uh, he almost looks like the singer for Oasis in like 1995. <laughs> uh, it's an interesting choice for someone who wants to blend in. I would always remember someone wearing a hat like that. Totally. Like that guy stands out, you know, to be with that kind of hat, you know. And the funny yeah. thing, too, is like Fassbender plays it like with all of the trappings of his character with the Smiths and all this other stuff and this like philosophy. You would think he would play it as a British guy. But he's playing yeah. it as kind of North American dude, you know? Man, well, yeah. Fincher has cool. to play it as like a North American. I didn't think about that. Yeah, his fast manner is a is a I think he's a Irish, British right? dude. Oh, is yeah. he Irish? I think he's oh, okay. Irish. Yeah. Um Yeah, that's it. And the other, one of the other bands he he seems to like Portishead. We hear Portishead. I don't know if he's listening to Portishead or if it's on the soundtrack to the film, but uh I mean, wow, yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah, yeah. Portishead is uh, playing in the house in the Dominican Republic when he shows up. Like maybe his lady had it on, you know. That's so, right. Yeah. Okay. I was fond yeah. of like you know British, you know, dark pop music. Yeah. Um, again, another scene where he uses the environment. He uses the FedEx guy to to get into his uh, handler's office. Uh, he could just barge his shoot his way in there and make it cause a whole scene, but. Oh, he's methodical. He's dressed as the um, as some sort of garbage man or recycling, recycling. or something. Yeah, yeah, recycling. Yeah, yeah. Think about how many of those people you pass a day and you don't give it a second thought. Nondescript people, you know. Yeah. The one thing I do have to say, though, okay, is he he comes in through the passenger elevator of the building. Mm-hmm. That would never happen ever in a building. Yeah. The, oh no. That, any kind of service goes through the service elevator, which is off of the loading dock. It's never like through the front door. 
Right, yeah, because he's riding down with like uh, with other passengers. Like, oh, how, how, hope you can get get to get rid of that body. And you know, the secretary yeah. girl like laughs. Um, not secretary, fucking assistant. I mean, um, yeah, that's one little, I guess, minor detail. You're totally right that like you know that would that would never happen, and people would probably remember that. Like, yeah, I was going up to my office, and there's a fucking dirt bag in there. <laughs> you know, exactly. They would complain to the building. Probably that. Hey, do me a favor, you know, have these guys take the the, the uh, service elevator and stay out of the passenger elevator. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that would cause um, put attention on him. So that, that's my only flaw with this movie so far. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a great point. That's a that's a very good point. Um. So yeah, I get why he wants to kill the lawyer. The lawyer obviously gave him up, and uh, you know, caused his his love to get hurt. But the cab driver and uh, the lawyers, like, what exactly do you think her job is? Administrator? What, what does she do for him? Like, say again? Executive assistant. Right, like, executive like, assistant. Yeah, she like they, schedule and, you know, does administrative stuff for him, only him. So, yeah. Those are people just doing their job. And I don't think it was necessary for, for him to kill them. But, he, yeah, he does anyway. And it's it's purely based on emotion and he shows a little bit of of empathy towards the executive assistant when she says i'm not going to beg won't do any good but can he at least make it look like a natural death which he which he grants her doesn't have to but he does yeah and at one point you think he's going to let her go and he doesn't <laughs> I he was i thought he was too but that that's the once again that's like exposure for himself you know i mean like she can when it when she's being threatened and scared but then once he's gone she can just be like oh it was this guy you know he came and did all this stuff so he, he had she kind of had to go really you know yeah yeah exactly exactly i almost feel every every almost everyone he kills in this movie i kept thinking like he's not gonna kill them he's gonna like have some sort of change of heart but no he kills them kills oh, everybody yeah. uh yeah, yeah like and I, I love that when he confronts Tilda Swinton, like she basically breaks the whole thing down. Like, you know, you don't need to be doing this. You're risking so much by doing it. Why? And he doesn't have really have an answer. No, he doesn't at all. You know, that's the thing, you know, and it's like, she's always great, man. I love Tilda Swinton. Oh yeah. I, that that's probably my favorite scene in the movie. And I get darkly funny, you know, she's in this really nice place and this fucking guy who, who looks a little rough is just sitting there. Doesn't look like he belongs there. They're having this awkward conversation. It's 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 one it's probably my favorite scene in the movie, or one of them. Like stoic look on his face, you know. Yeah, he's kind of bruised up, um, wearing like a puffy jacket. Doesn't look like he's going out to a nice dinner. Uh, and, and once I saw that Tilda Swinton and him and Fastbender were going to do a scene. I'm like, okay, this is going to be some shit. You know what I mean? Like, this is yeah. going to be oh, man. serious, like, dialogue and, like, really sick, like, acting and stuff like that, you know? Right. And uh, I like how he comments on the house she lives in. Like, hmm, interesting choice for, for what you do. You know, you got these neighbors that are five feet away, basically. Yeah. She's I like that. From, like, Westchester County, like, suburb or something like that, you know? Yeah, I think it's, again, yeah, yeah it, exactly. Um... Before that, there is, you know, this is a very sort of like internal movie. There is action in it, and there's a, there's a great fight scene in this. And uh, I, I wanted to get your take on it. While, while I was watching the, the fight scene in Florida, it was sort of a mix of, like, 
choreographed action and sloppy reality. Like, it was a very, very cool fight scene. I liked it a lot. It's like guys who kind of know how to fight, you know, like, uh, and, you know, obviously, like, and also the thing I thought was the the dude, the the bigger guy, mm-hmm. had the upper hand in a lot of the fight because in a lot of these types of conflicts, you know, like, they, they'll have a guy who maybe is a little bit smaller because he's the hero or whatever. Right. It's like the upper hand, and that's a little bit unrealistic in some cases. You know what I mean? Right. The dude was like way more physically imposing and was able to like take shots differently and, and his punches were, were, were heavier and, and that's the reality of it sometimes, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. Um, but you know, a guy like Fassbender's character would be highly, highly trained in, in fighting, I would imagine. And, and it shows, but you know, he gets caught off guard. And I say though, it's like, even if you're like a, a smaller guy, and at least in like striking, you know, and like punching and kicking and stuff, it's like when you're bigger than someone, you can take their shots better. You know what I mean? Even though the guy right. might t- technically have more skill than you in, in like a real fight, if you're fighting someone and the dude's like more technical than you, he just isn't hitting you as hard as someone of your own size would be. And you're, you have more physical mass to absorb the, the impact. Right. You know? So that, that, but that was what I thought was realistic about it. It's like he obviously knew what he was doing, or the guys who were the, the stunt guys who were doing it were skilled. But yeah, the bigger guy was like throwing him around, and you can see it made it look like his punches were landing harder. And you know, it was like very realistic. I thought. Yeah, and uh, I like that it had like real, like world implications. Like uh, in some movies, someone takes a beating, and the next scene they're fine. But you know, the next time you see Fast Render, he's limping, his face is all fucked up. Yeah. Uh, you know, it probably might, you know, hurt his plans. If you're trying to blend in and you're walking around with a black and blue eye, you know, face, people know, tend to notice that. Absolutely, they do. Mm. And uh, also interesting, you have this very um, organized sort of crimes, uh, sophisticated crime syndicate going on. And you got this like, like knucklehead from Florida. Like, who was that guy? Like, how did he end up working uh, f- for these people? You know, like, it, it was a. I, I thought about it a, a lot. Like, they wouldn't have two. You know, you're going after one of your top guys. Tilda Swinton, I get it. You know, there's a cold coldness to her. I see that. But this guy, like, this seems like some thug they hired off, off the street. Like, yeah, okay, I'll do it for a couple hundred bucks. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, like lifting weights and like pit bulls and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Smoking weed, partying. He's like he's not as disciplined as as everyone else around him. You know, he's not yeah. as committed to this like you know uh, this this thing of, of blending in, no one noticing him. He's very loud. Yeah, the weights and pit bulls reminded me of uh, Calumet Street in Boston. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's basically just going down the line, like hunting people down who, who, who wronged him and anyone who gets in the way, uh, has got to go, which makes the final scene that much more, um, confusing to, to me. Like I was, I was pretty surprised by how this, this all played out. Finally, he, he, he finds out who the guy behind this whole thing was. This guy Claiborne, and um, Claiborne, man. Oh my god! And then 
once again, this guy lives in this ivory tower that's supposed to be like a secure building or whatever. <laughs> and he basically just stay, posts up outside of the garage, like the service entrance. And he yeah. doesn't he order he orders like seamless or something like that, like some food order. Yeah, something like that. Like, yeah. And he just like sl- slips in like behind the guy and he finds his way up to uh, Claiborne, basically. I mean, essentially, that's what happened. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, again, using your in- environment, just using things that, that anyone anyone can get to, to do his job. I love that. This guy's whole, like, like costume design and everything, like, <laughs> so awesome, dude. He's like, I knew guy. you would love that, dude. The sub pop shirt. <laughs> He had like like a sub pop sh- shirt on and like some sort of stupid hat and a stupid fucking beard and like just a stupid <laughs> face and like he's on the phone with like a stupid fucking headset, you know, cell phone operation or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> it's like some some rich fucking is like mid fifties like making these like moves, you know, in the middle of the night. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's not some cold, shrewd businessman in a really sharp suit or anything like. He's like probably thinks of himself as one, just one of the guys. Hey, sub pop shirt, uh, wool hat. Sub pop shirt know. made him like more than anything. You know I knew I mean? it. He kind of looks like Moby. Yeah, yeah, and that hat too. I want to knock yeah. that hat off his head, man. I hate, I hated that hat that he was wearing. Yeah, this is like one person. I was like, all right, this would be enjoyable watching watching the killer just fucking just end this guy. But he doesn't. Well, I have some thoughts about it. I mean, obviously, we're gonna we're gonna spoil the film for you guys. See it, but like, so he lets him live. But right, one of the things he says to him is like, if I have to come back here again, you know, he'll he's gonna concoct some something like a, a speck of like radioactive material on your glass or or something that you'll die painfully like some death that will look like an accident and like in a way i felt like rather than killing him making this guy live in this traumatized state for the rest of his life thinking that my his life can end at any moment is uh is probably um and i, I there's a, there's a part b to what i'm what i'm talking about too okay it's probably like like punishment you know like enough of like mm. putting that anxiety on someone to live with, you know. Um, so I don't know your thoughts on that before I go on. I I agree with that. Like I, I was initially very surprised and confused, but there are some things worse than death. Uh, and when he's like, "Look how easily I got to you, and I could do this again if you fuck with me," you know, it's like the ultimate. Brett, this guy is going to be looking over his shoulder the rest of his life, paranoid. Yeah. Sure. Um, I'm thinking, I was like, he will probably take try to take another shot at, at Michael Fassbender's character somewhere down the road. I think they're both going to be looking over their shoulders yeah. uh, for the rest of their lives. In, in um, the final scene, we see, we see Fassbender and, um, and his lady you know, out on a beach somewhere, like taking the sun you know disappeared living out the next the next life you know what i mean yeah uh it was sort of a uplifting ending very oddly enough but uh, you had a part b I'd, I'd like to hear okay all right so like in the beginning of the movie they talk about you know all this like existential stuff about how we're meaningless and we live in this empty void you know and life is pointless but like a lot of times um you know nihilists have this uh concept of 
that's like a freeing sort of thing, knowing that you only have life and there's nothing really matters in the bigger picture. And it gives people mm. a feeling of freedom to live their life that way, you know, to, to live the life they want. Right. So that would, in theory, that's, that's uh fastbender's approach to life. Is that like, you know, I've, I've, I, nothing matters. So I'm living the way I want now by telling this guy Claiborne at the end, that I can snuff you at any time and no one will know that I killed you. I can make it look like an accident. Now, every day this guy wakes up and this is, this ties into something else. Every day this guy wakes up is it is another day that he gets to breathe and live. And maybe that will give him like the freedom to live to, to this sort of peaceful life that he has, you know? So it's like a two edged thing. It's like, cause I said, ultimately this film has a positive ending. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Where it's like the guy can live, he can, he has like this A or B thing. He can either live with constant fear and anxiety, or he can think about my life ending at any moment because this guy decides to take me out and I just live with ultimate freedom. Right. Now, remember in Fight Club, right? There's that uh the guy in the in the um in the convenience store where they put the gun to him and he make him go on his knees and he and Brad Pitt's character, Tyler Durden. Mm -hmm. What you know? What what do you regret not doing or whatever you know? And it's like, right. you know, and he's like, uh, you know, I wanted to be a vet. You know, it was too hard or whatever. And when they leave him, you know, he instructs him the next day, quit your job here and follow your thing that you want to be a vet. And he was telling, um, he he says when he wakes up in the morning, his breakfast is going to be the most delicious meal he's ever eaten because he got to live again. You know, he got to live another day. Right. He, he experienced that by confronting death, you know, and that that scene reminded me of the ending of this movie, like where this guy who thought he was invincible is essentially all that safety and security is taken away from him and be like, look, you can die. I can end you right now if I want. I can end you tomorrow. I can end you a year from now. Like, what do you do with that for the rest of your life? Right. You know? It's like such that moment I thought was like really, really heavy and like just really intense. Yeah, no, agreed. And that, that's a really great breakdown of it. I, I love that. That's that's fantastic. Um, yeah, I, it's not quite empathy what he's showing him. It's 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 I, I wouldn't know how to describe it, actually. It, it's it's an interesting game that he played with him, because going back to the Thelemic principle that we talk about in the beginning it's about freedom it's about um you know will you know what i mean mm. like that whole thing do what thou wilt it's about like your will and he made him he bestowed upon this guy a choice like you have free will like you could either live in fear or you could take this uncertainty and be free of 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 anything you know so i don't know it's like it's like it's such an interesting way to end the film i thought you know, I mean, if yeah. it was a John Wick film, he would have killed him. You know what I mean? Of that course. Would been, that would have been satisfying too, you know, but he didn't. Yeah. yeah, that's basically, and there's a little epilogue at the end with him on the beach. We just saw all this brutal, dark violence, uh, and it ends with the sunshine. That's right. Yeah, almost optimistic sort of ending to, to, to what we just saw. Um. So when credits rolled, uh, like, what, what were your initial thoughts about this? Is this something that stayed in your? Because I think we both watched this last night. Yeah, 
Yeah. I yeah, mean, if I, was that, in the, if I was in a movie theater, I would have stood up and clapped, actually. Yeah. Um, after all, you know, because I had read some or heard some negative things uh, uh, about this movie. Two critics I really like uh, shit all over this movie. And, uh, you know, so I was like, oh, man, that's I really respect these guys' opinions. But when this ended, I wasn't thinking this is low-tier Fincher. I was thinking this was one of his better movies. I totally agree with you on that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, people are saying, you know, like low tier Fincher. I guess that's considered what Alien Three, Panic Room, uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. At least those those are my bottom ones. Uh, this is this is okay. It's not Zodiac uh, or, or Seven, but I, I would put this in one of his five best films. Yeah, no, definitely. It's definitely one of my favorite films I've seen by him, and I've seen you know a large share of his movies. I've seen everyone except Mank, uh, which I forgot existed. It's his, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, it's great to just see a real filmmaker doing what he does and executing it perfectly. I mean, guys like Fincher, they're 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 a dying breed. Guys make this kind of movie. You know, there's with with a big budget. There's him. There's Quentin Tarantino. There's Christopher Nolan. You know, real filmmakers, and it, it's this is a, a, a gift if you're a fan of films, like to get a new film from David Fincher. You know, even if you're watching it on Netflix, you're watching a real film. You know, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I appreciate it, man. I think this is one of the best movies of the year. I don't agree that this is middle or low tier Fincher at all. I loved this movie, and I found it. Even though with a sort of familiar story, I found it a little unpredictable. I wasn't sure what was going to happen until right until like the credits roll. I was like, okay, all right. Because I, I mean, I was expecting some sort of curveball, something. Uh, yeah, I thought, I'm sorry, go ahead, man. I mean, no, 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 go ahead. Uh, if you're going to grade this, well, you know, what are you giving it? I give it a five, man. I love this movie. You know what I mean? I can't find anything wrong with it except from the freight elevator thing. That's literally the only issue I would have with this movie. Yeah, uh, 4.5 for me. Uh, just because, you know, like, I want to, like, I feel like I'm going to love it even more with a second and third viewing. I've only seen this once. So, yeah, no, definitely. So, right now it's a 4.5, but I, I, I eventually, like, this, this will be on uh, one of my favorite films uh of the year it may even make my top six horror movies <laughs> i mean i mean we're talking about it on a horror podcast but obviously this is not a horror movie no it's a hard it's a thriller it's a horror adjacent film i feel like other yeah. other horror podcasts are at least talking about this movie you know yeah of course and and it's david fincher a master great director who's you know seven zodiac you know he's obviously sort of played in this sandbox before of like horror adjacent stuff i would say seven actually is a horror movie for sure man definitely yeah the same way like silence of the lambs is a horror film yeah horror is not a dirty word people (laughs) you know so uh what do you got planned for the rest of the day man do you have the day off or no yeah i do have the day off um we are going to go to some korean uh uh Korean restaurant today, Korean Korean fried chicken. I think that's what we're doing today. Because you know, I'm feeling healthy. <laughs> uh, what about you, man? Oh, uh, you know, just some domestic stuff. You know, maybe going to. I think we're going. The plan is to do some uh, shopping at, uh, uh, you know, maybe Whole Foods. 
you know, mm-hmm. or maybe, maybe, uh, you know, Trader Joe's. It might be oh, that okay. one, depending on how we feel, you know, depending on how the day unfolds, maybe Costco, but it's Saturday, you know, that's no, no, on no. a Saturday, no nope. way. And then, uh, then we have to do some stuff over at either Lowe's or Home Depot, right? Yeah. Know, pick up some, some, some hardware. You know what I mean? Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nice, nice little Saturday. Nice and, little uh, Saturday. And then uh, I, ultimately we're going to be hitting uh, this Thai food spot down in the town that I used to live in, Metuchen, New Jersey. Okay. And, uh, yeah. They, they have, a, they have good food there. So, um, yeah, nice little Saturday for ourselves here. Yeah. I might go see Thanksgiving, the new Eli Roth movie. I have no interest to see that man. Scott Hall saw it the other night and, and he was, he was like, he gave me the review that I expected to get from it. So, uh, yeah, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see it, but not this weekend and not next weekend. I'll probably yeah. get out on streaming or something like that. I have very mixed feelings about Eli Roth, but he's been making the podcast circuit promoting this movie. And I've listened to him a few times, obviously a very knowledgeable guy when it comes to horror movies and just films in general. And I don't know, something about like listening to him. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll go see this. I don't really like, his films that much. Uh, I like Cabin Fever, and that's about it. Cabin Fever is literally the only movie that he's made that I like. Yeah, yeah. Everything else is falling short with me, but you know, people like him and whatever. I mean, I do love hearing him talk about horror films. I like what he has to say about the genre in general, but I just am not a fan of his movies. Yeah, he's sort of like Kevin Smith in that regards. Uh, like I uh, love hearing him talk. Uh, he's made a couple of things that I like, but ultimately, you know, it's not for me. But um, seems like a guy you want to support. You know what he does. Yeah, Kevin Smith is cool. Um, you know, he he spends a lot of time out here in New Jersey right now. He bought a uh, a movie theater that's close by to where our practice space is. And, oh, I think uh, I remember you telling me that. Yeah. Yeah, and my drummer used to see him walking around. You know, like taking his morning walk or whatever when he's on the way in the, to work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but he's back and forth between LA and New Jersey. So, maybe yeah, maybe he's a Jersey guy. Yeah. Mall Rats is good. I enjoy that one still. Yeah. Clerks, Mall Rats. Yeah. I, I liked his horror movie too. Red State. Red State was good. Oh, yeah. Good. Red State was good. I saw that in a movie theater, actually. Yeah. Better, better than expected. All right. So that's that's <laughs> it, man. That's uh, the killer, among other things that we talked about. And I'd like to thank everyone for uh, for listening. And uh, we'll talk to everyone next week. Take care. Have a great holiday. All right, man. Talk to you later. All right, man. Bye.